Okay, well, hello everybody. Um, for all the new people, my name is Jessie. Just met my husband. And I have the pleasure of continuing our Sermon in the Mount series, which we have been in for quite some time now. And it's worth it. It's worth being in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time because it was probably Jesus' most important teaching. And it's really the time he, he took time to introduce the kingdom to, for the first time on the Sermon on the Mount. So I am in Matthew 7, verse 12. There should be a slider. And this is where we're going to start off today. It's called the Golden Rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So the Sermon on the Mount, just to give us a little recap for those of us who weren't there, we started with the Beatitudes, and that talked about who is blessed in the kingdom. And we were surprised, as everyone there would have been, that actually who was blessed in the kingdom were not the people that were the most educated or um, the most wealthy or the best off or who could form a great argument, but they were anybody who had um, given their heart to Jesus, and that was the lowly, the poor, and they were all blessed in this kingdom. So it was very, very different. Then the sermon moved into the call, which was now you are um, a city on a hill. You're called to be, to be um, leaven and light. And then Jesus moved into teaching of the law and the prophets and a few, few other ways how to live in this kingdom. And what's so interesting about this golden rule where we've landed is he says this sums up the law and the prophets. So basically, if you only pick up one thing from the whole Sermon on the Mount, I would say this is the most important thing to pick up. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And just fun fact, there were 613 laws in the Laws and the Prophets, and Jesus distilled it down to this one thing. So I think we can all agree that this is incredibly important to his heart. And I think we can also agree that we've all heard this a thousand times before. (laughs) So I realize that I'm not giving you brand new information here. But I will just say, um, when I was doing some prep for this, I was listening to John Mark Comer speak on this topic, and he said, familiarity, it doesn't just breed content, but familiarity can breed apathy. And so we just need to pay attention to that, because what apathy does is it shuts us down to, to action. And this is all about action. Just like everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, this ethical principle to live this way was brand new information and it was really, really countercultural. This was not how people were living at the time. This wasn't how they positioned themselves in the world. And for us today, I believe that it's still countercultural, but we're going to have a little bit more of a look at this. So we're going to have a little lesson. We're going to move to the next slide. In philosophy, ethics is the study of how to treat others, concepts of right and wrong, and of truth. And these conversations have been going on for a really long time. So you'll be pleased to know that, Christian or not Christian, you have a number of options for how you can position yourself in the world and how you want to, which ethical principle you would like to live by. The golden rule is in fact not the only option. We have this option here, which is the iron rule. And that is Alexander the Great. And the iron rule is might makes right. So if you are living your life by the iron rule, how you're living it is if things are going well for me, and if I'm the strongest and I'm winning, then I must be doing something right. That's good enough for me. Alexander the Great did not lose a battle for 15 years. And I imagine when he went to sleep at night, he thought, I must be doing something right. I must be destined 
to be fulfilling this call, I think it was conquering various cities and nations, um, because he was the mightiest, and he won. So this is the iron rule. And the iron rule has a little bit of a Darwinian survival of the fittest ring to it as well. And um, basically, if you're the strongest, you're right. And we're not completely exempt for this. I think where the iron rule, sometimes we can live that out in our own lives. And we do this a lot as Christians. We talk about being blessed when we have been given something. So we talk about, oh, I, I just I moved into this amazing new house. Thank you. I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed on our Instagram. But the truth is, what you have does not determine whether or not you're blessed at all. And we learned that in the Beatitudes. You're blessed by who has your heart, not by what you own. Um, And I think we can make a mistake in thinking just because we're privileged, as I would say most of us in this room are, that we're in fact blessed. Now everything we have is the blessing of the Lord, but we are not blessed because of that. And the dangerous thing about that is if we think that that's true, then when things go wrong or when we have nothing, then we think maybe God forgot us. But he didn't forget us. We are blessed no matter what. All right, let's move on to the next slide. This is called the silver rule. Silver rule. Tagline is no harm. And the silver rule is actually not a bad way to live your life. This is another option for you. It um, was the central ethical principle of Confucian thought. Confucius said, do not impose on others that which you yourself do not desire. It's not bad. It's also echoed in Hinduism. It says, this is the sum of duty. Do not unto others which if done to thee would cause thee pain. Great. And Buddhism's the same, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. So to live by the silver rule is to do no harm. Live a decent life, don't hurt anyone. It's not a bad way to position yourself. Except for the fact that there's a really big difference between not causing suffering and actually working to alleviate suffering. And we know that in the kingdom, where we're called to bring a positive contribution, we've been given this, we've been given the kingdom, and part of our kingdom mandate is actually to contribute. It's action. And in the next slide, I've just as an example of um, where the silver rule falls short, there's um, a thing called the bystander effect. And the bystander effect is this thing that um, sociologists were looking at, especially about ten years ago. There were there were a few incidents that happened where um, somebody got hurt and loads of people were around. Hundreds of people walked past, they all looked at it, and nobody helped that person. And I'm not actually going to get into the details of the stories because they're quite disturbing, but, but people, people died because somebody didn't intervene. Had somebody just picked them up or, 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 or lifted them out of the way, they would have survived. So it's all very well to talk about do no harm except for when we realize that do no harm can actually um, cause a lot of suffering as well. But this is an ethical principle that is available to you should you wish to live your life that way. And then finally, the golden rule. So Christianity isn't the only people group who lives by the golden rule, tries to live by it. Um, But most people do agree that the Sermon on the Mount was the first time that this was, um, that Jesus spoke this out, that no one had said it before. And it took the silver rule to a whole new level. 
It said we're not actually just going to cause harm, uh, not cause harm. We're going to take an active role in seeking to make a positive contribution to others. It says that love is more than a feeling. Do you know the early Christians who, who were trying to live this out, they looked different. Later on um, in Matthew and John, it says, this is how you will know that they are my disciples, by how they love each other. But the disciples weren't just walking around with a warm, fuzzy feeling and a glow, hugging people a lot. <laughs> Which, maybe they were, but they weren't just doing that. They also set up um, hospitals so that they could look after the sick. Because before that, people would just leave sick people to die because they were now useless. Um, oh, lost it. <laughs> Thank you. So the ruler from the spirit. Blowing up on my notes. So they looked after the sick. They stayed in marriages when it wasn't normal to do that. Um, stayed in monogamous relationships. They looked after children. They, they took an active role in contributing positively to society. Love looked like something for them. And a lot of this was because God was different. So when we looked at Buddha and we looked at Hinduism and, and, and all of these other ways, ethical principles that stemmed from various teachings, God, God, He loved us first. So the reason we can love differently is because we are loved differently. Our God is different. For example, if you think about the Hindu religion, um, they believe in karma, so they believe that if you are suffering in this life, you brought it on yourself. You're suffering because you did something terrible in your last life, and so they, they will do no harm. They won't get in the way and make it worse for you necessarily, <coughs> but they won't alleviate your suffering because their whole way, their whole belief system says you, will, you deserve to be there. But our God doesn't say that about us. He says that each of you have intrinsic value, your sons and daughters, and he asks us to treat our fellow brothers and sisters like he would treat them. But he first loved us. He fills us with his love. And then out of that place of overflow, we get to love others. So in preparing this, I ask myself, is the golden rule actually still countercultural? Because to be honest, the first time I read it, I thought, well, everyone knows this. This is, I would say, most people I know, Christian or not Christian, tend to try, at least, to live by this principle. But when I thought about it a little bit more, I realized it actually is still quite countercultural. It's, 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 it's as much as we might think that this is how we're trying to live. When, we, when, when I looked at, I started to think about how people are living, I realized... And if this is a massive generalization, I know that there are a lot of people really living this out beautifully. But in terms of the overwhelming feeling, the spirit of our age, I felt that actually there was something else that, um, that fits a little bit better. And it's this one. And it harm no one, do what thou wilt. And it harm no one, do what thou wilt. And I thought, I actually think many, many, the, the, the overwhelming sort of, of our age is, is this. We don't hurt people, but we get to live our life the way we want to live it. We get to choose our truth. We get to um, express ourselves however we feel. And not all of that is bad, but it's not the golden rule. It, there's something different underlying that. So this, for me, speaks to individualism and postmodernism, which says that all truth is relative, so you might as well live yours. 
And it sounds good on some level, but it's actually still a silver rule level of relating. You do you, and I won't get in the way. At worst, it's actually an iron rule level of relating. Let's shout the loudest, take by force, and cancel and destroy opposing voices. And it's based on a lie, because it's based on the lie that we're not connected, that our actions don't matter, and that we can't really make a difference. It's also based on the lie that our personal happiness comes from living as we wish, as if the source of our personal happiness can be found within ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I just don't think that's true. The people around me that I see that are trying to live that way, don't, they, aren't, they don't strike me as the happiest, the most um, comfortable in themselves people. And yet people who are trying to make a positive contribution, people that have found their sense of identity in God, are people that are satisfied. In the kingdom we know that as image bearers of God, we are all connected. That our actions, when in line with our kingdom mandate to bring heaven to earth, can bring real change. And that true joy comes from finding identity and meaning in relationship with God. But there's another reason why this just isn't enough. And this is the one that's really on my heart to speak about today. Live and let live is fine if you're all living well. But what about those of us that aren't living well? What about the people that actually need help? And you just can't read about Jesus without capturing his heart for the most vulnerable in our society. He actually says that what you do to the, the least of us, you do unto me. He prioritized the poor, the broken, the mentally ill, the hopeless. And he did this in a number of ways. But I think the most powerful is he stopped and he saw them and he got involved and he engaged. And if we're to reflect him on earth, I don't see how we get away with not doing the same. I know that we're not all called to be missionaries, but we are all called to live out this golden rule. And we do that exactly where we are every day by being awake to those around us. Heidi Baker sums it up like this, stop for the one. How do we stop for one? Well, I think there's a number of ways to do that. Obviously, we live out this rule in our relationships, um, in our day-to-day lives. And I think what we do in those those spaces is just extend grace, ask ourselves how do we want to be treated, give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it looks like a five-minute chat with a car guard when we don't have time. Maybe it looks like stopping to, to talk to the person that works in our home and actually ask them what their dreams are. Maybe it looks like sitting with a teenager and actually hashing out some of those hard issues. And I think it's recognizing that for the most part, people enact their own internal world on the people around them. So it's knowing that hurt people are the ones that hurt people. Rejected people are usually the ones sabotaging their relationships. Anxious people are trying to control too much. But loved people love people. And as we become an expression of God's love to people, we can actually be part of their breakthrough, part of their healing, and, and part of their encounter into um, a, greater, a greater understanding of how loved they are. A while ago, 
I'd like the opportunity to practice this. Like all of us, it's a journey. Um, but I had a terrifying experience where I was, I was stalked for about two weeks. And, um, and I was very concerned for my personal safety. This person had my phone number, they had my address. Um, they knew where I worked, they knew how I got there. They managed to find contact details for a number of people in my life. And unfortunately, this person had quite a severe mental health condition. So the story that was going on in his head was that I was actually in great danger and he had to rescue me. And that's quite scary because I knew that he was passionate about the fact that he had to help. And I didn't know what he would do. I spoke to the police after a while and um, I just said, look, what are my options here? We, we tried to contact mental health teams. Mental health teams weren't available or they wouldn't talk to me um, as, you know, it was really none of my business what was going on with his mental health, so they had to respect confidentiality. Um, so I had no choice eventually but to go to the police. And the police said, you're going to need to press charges, we're going to have to get a restraining order. And I, it, it just didn't sit well with me, even though that was the recommended course of action, and it was probably the right course of action. So I spent some time with the Lord, and I just prayed about it, and I felt this, this really clear impression on my spirit that said, have mercy. Now, this might not be right for everyone in every situation, but going to the Lord and actually asking Him, how do, I, how do I do this well? What do you want from me? That is applicable to everyone in every situation. Yeah. And for me, in that moment, have mercy looked like not pressing charges. And what happened then was um, the police went over just to, they said they'll go over and they'll just ask him, tell him firmly <laughs> to please leave me alone. Um, and as they got there, the mental health team was there. They had... And decided to come, he was able to get the help that he needed, and I was able to get um, that peace knowing that, that he, he, was, he was not going to be able to stalk me anymore. And I know that in that moment I had a number of options that could have gone a number of ways, and yet God wanted to have mercy on his son. And by stopping and asking him, how do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to love him as, as, as I would love myself? How do you want me to express your love? I was actually able to be a building block in his healing journey. And I think when we, we come with that perspective, in everyday situations, somebody's angry, somebody's done wronged you, going, no, what, what God, how do, I, how do I have a higher perspective here? How do I, how do I express love? And again, this is, I'm definitely not coming here trying to um, preach this at you like I've got it all all worked out, um, but we are all on this journey together. And the other way we can take a more active approach to the golden rule um, is to, to consider the most desperate and vulnerable. And I know that, you know, whenever people talk about this up front or to me, I, and even in my preparations, to be honest, I felt a bit squirmy when this comes up because I feel guilty. I feel guilty that I'm not doing enough. I wonder what else I could be doing, and I feel really, really overwhelmed. We live in the most unequal country in the world. You can just stand on that balcony and have a look what's happening on the right of this building as we're meeting here right now. It's everywhere. And as the cost of living crisis gets worse and um, all the, the price of everything goes up, this is going to get worse and worse. And so I know it's overwhelming. And if you're feeling those, those feelings that I was feeling when preparing, then I'm just going to ask you to sit and be present with them. Because no one, I'm not going to ask you to strive or to do anything outside of God's grace or anything separate from the Holy Spirit. But I just felt really, really moved when I was prepping. I felt like God was putting his finger on this. And what he wanted to do was just 
encounter us with his love today and just open our eyes um, to, to, to be an encounter for somebody else. Matthew 25, 31 says, When you cared for the least of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you cared for me. When the spirit of our age puts ourselves first, the people of the kingdom count others more important than themselves. And this is incredibly challenging in our context. But it's also an amazing opportunity. You can't live in South Africa without coming across people that, that want to leave or other opportunities, and that's right for some people. I've left and come back. There's no judgment. But there's another opportunity available to us that we get to enact the kingdom every single day. In fact, from a, from a kingdom perspective, there is nothing but opportunity to do the very thing that Jesus valued most highly, and that is stop for the one. And I think that these three rules are an interesting framework to assess what our default way is. I really used them this week to think about how, how do we even begin to do this? You know, like when somebody, when the fifth person's come up to us and, and we just want to ignore them, um, how, do, how do we give dignity? How do we look in the eye? How do, we, how do we not just do no harm but actually make a contribution? Just like um, my previous story, we do this walking out intimacy with the Lord. So we, we stop um, and we ask Him and we trust Him to lead us. We don't have to do anything outside of what He's doing. He's the first one that we stop for, right? We stop and we look at Him and we, we become overcome by the presence. We live our lives in relationship with Jesus and then we just listen. And a story came to mind um, a couple of days ago. I remembered being in Deval Park. And um, it was like, probably in 2018, and I was actually embarrassed that it was such an old story, but I was walking in the park and a man approached me quite quickly and I got a fright, um, and I just sort of walked away, because when people approach you in the park, probably especially as a woman, you do, I think we do just often tend to just walk away. And as I was walking away, I felt, I felt a check in my spirit, which is like a prick of conscience, and I knew the Lord was speaking to me and asking me to stop. And so I went back to the man and I just said, I'm so sorry, um, what do you want to say? And this man, um, yeah, I was going to get a bit emotional telling this story because it was just it was a really powerful experience I had with the Lord, but um, the man, I, I could, he just said to me, I've lost everything, my, I can't feed my family, I've got a baby at home and, and I really need work. And I just was able to, I had this profound experience of feeling Jesus' heart for this man in my heart. And I could do nothing, I wasn't actually living here at the time, but what I could do was I gave everything that I had and I could pray with him. And as I prayed with him, I felt, I felt just that peace that Jesus was able to, to be there with him in that moment through me. And then I went home and cried for about four hours not because I was sad, but because God was just encountering my heart with his love. And his love for the vulnerable, and his love for the marginalized, and the people that everybody else has forgotten. And I actually feel like that's what he wants to do with us today. Is he's not, he's not asking us to 
to do anything necessarily. He might ask you that individually, but he is asking, will we open up our hearts and just let that love flow through us again? Will we be available to him when he does nudge us and when he does ask us to stop? And also, just to say, we don't throw common sense or boundaries or personal well-being at the moment. I know a lot of you in this room, and I know some of you are in situations where you really just need to be looking after yourself and healing. But we can all be available, and we can all position our hearts like this. So I'm just going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask um, James to come back. And we're just going to make ourselves available now to that love encounter with Jesus. we just do get overwhelmed that we look at the magnitude of a problem and we just don't know where to start and some of us are I feel like some of us are just you almost you can't carry the pain of it and it just gets too much you actually can't expose yourself to it because it just becomes too overwhelming if that's you um, just raise your hand just quickly and I'm just going to pray for that We just thank you. I thank you that your your heart is such a beautiful thing, and that especially for these ones, Lord, that you've you've, you've given them a part of that by nature. And Lord, I just pray that you would 
you would just just meet them in that place this morning. Thank you that you're with them. Thank that we did nothing except the step that you put in front of us, Lord. And just just right then, I also felt like a, the guilt, the burden of guilt. Anyone else is feeling the burden of guilt? Won't you also just show me your hand quickly so I can pray for you? We just thank you that guilt is not from you. Guilt is not from you. So we just release that. We just release the guilt in Jesus' name. And we thank you that you, your burden is easy. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, I just pray a lightness into this. And we thank you for the joy of getting to live out your kingdom. And Lord, I just pray that those places of guilt and those places of overwhelm would be would become places of joy. And I just even I saw this sort of picture of a lion, and then we encounter people on different parts of their journey, but he holds their journey. And part of having faith is, is bringing hope into those spaces, knowing that he carries people on. We just meet them in little places. We don't have to carry it all. Yeah, so he's just going to lift those burdens off. Yeah, we just break hopelessness in this area, Jesus. We break hopelessness in this area. We thank you that you give everybody a hope in the future, that you do have solutions, that you empower creative ideas, creative solutions, Lord. And I just pray for everybody here for just a, um, a mindset of positivity, a mindset of not, not positivity like we make it happen, but, but a kingdom lens of who you are and what you're capable of. So I work in innovation and I tell people all the time, you can complain about the climate crisis and you can let it be overwhelmed, but if you go and look in that innovation space, the phenomenal humans that are coming up with amazing solutions. It's so, it brings so much hope. We get to carry hope. If you need an upgrade in your hope, just raise your hand. You just need an upgrade in your hope. I read a statistic um, this week that said that our youth are becoming more and more disillusioned because they're hopeless about their future. We need to be people. Lord, I just pray that we become people that come against that lie of hopelessness in our society. There is so much hope. People are amazing. People are amazing what they can do. God is amazing what He can inspire. And there's people in this room that are called to creative solutions. Creative solutions. Now, and I just bless you. If you call to creative solutions, or if you want a creative solution for something, let's raise your hand. If you want a creative solution for a problem, you want to hear a God solution for a problem, I just release creativity over you in Jesus' name. Release hope over you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for the creative solutions that are going to come out of Signal Church. We thank you for the creative solutions for Cape Town. We started this series step into the ways of Jesus and the story of God for the sake of Cape Town. That starts, that starts with those, those seeds of kingdom creativity, kingdom strategy. Those are available to all of us. And I'm watching this happen. In my job in Bristol, I'm watching kingdom people get creative ideas that are making a massive difference. This is what we're called to. This is what we're called to wherever we are. Are people of hope, people of hope, people of hope.